0: A leader for me is someone who develops people and not rules. Why should I respect you just because you've got the position? What did you do? What did you do not in terms of actual accomplishments and accolades, but what did you do in terms of the people around you? Do they respect you? Do they admire you? Or do they fear you? Hi, I'm Amelie Demarsely, Academic Director for the IE Centre for Health, Wellbeing and Happiness. And this is Resetting Homo Sapiens a podcast created and led by IE students, where we talk to pioneers who are passionate about life and resetting the ways in which we lead our existence and organizations. Welcome to our show, and more importantly, enjoy the ride.
1: My name is Carlota Getsch, and our guest today is Shiva. She is a TEDx speaker, a program designer, and a global educator teaching people how to take control over their mental programming. Her areas of expertise are cultural intelligence, diversity and inclusion, and leadership development. Together we explored how might we reset ourselves and our organizations by questioning our assumptions and learning to set boundaries and saying no. Let's dive in. Hello, Shiva, and welcome to the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast. Thank you. And the first question I have prepared for you. um, At Resetting Homo Sapiens, we talk a lot about ways to reset our species at the personal and collective level, and we talk a lot about a new kind of leadership. When and why did you recognize a need for individuals and organizations to lead differently
0: oh that's a good one so when did i start realizing the need for this yeah
1: or why Hmm. why did you decided to do this kind of work on cultural intelligence and leadership development
0: like there are two different stories so i'll tell you the when and then i'll tell you um the why the when was i think from when i was a kid i remember being angry at adults in general like even from like nine ten years old being really angry at um And thinking obviously from first the family perspective of like, why do people have kids if they don't want them, which is a very, you know, it's a childlike way of seeing the world. Um, But then I remember also always having this belief and value of why the hell should I respect someone just because they're older, just because of their role or their position. I come from a culture in the middle, I'm from Iran, and in that culture, you know, you have three options of jobs, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're, or you're an engineer, right, and mm-hmm. definitely better to be a doctor or an engineer than a lawyer, um, and I remember going to people's houses, and they're always like, oh, this one's a doctor, oh, that's an engineer, Oh, like, wait, you know, kissing up to people just for their roles, and I never got it, I never understood it, and then as I grew and, and started to work, I realized, oh, this is how everyone operates. You know, it wasn't just the Persian community. It's it's everywhere. You go into an organization and we think that people are just better or smarter than us because they have a, mm-hmm. they're higher on that hierarchy. Um, and I always remember having a real allergy to that thought. Um, but it never, interesting enough, that never kind of dictated so much of me getting into leadership and into cultural intelligence I got into training in general um, first through language and through cultural intelligence and I got into that completely by accident Um, but I won't tell the story of uh, let's say how I got there but my the reason why I got in was because my background is super diverse I'm and you know this but probably I don't the guests probably don't
1: Go ahead, go ahead. Born
0: in Iran during the Iran-Iraq war, refugee in Italy at four years old, went to a Catholic school in Italy, but my, my mother is Muslim, my father is Jewish. Um, moved to New York City when I was five years old. So I had all of these identities, you know, I had the Iranian, I had the American, I had the refugee, I had the immigrant, I had the Muslim, I had the Jewish. Um, and it worked in New York City. I mean, New York City is freaking. I'm boring in New York City, basically copies of me everywhere, or I'm a copy of everyone there but when i came to spain um, and i had lived in ireland and england before that as well and i remember coming to spain and i was working in a job and i was one of my bosses was australian and the other one was spanish and they would always be arguing with each other like they would get into massive fights with each mm-hmm. other and they just didn't seem to understand each other's perspectives but i'd be listening to both and i'm like i can literally see both of their perspectives i understand both sides How, why can't they see you know why can't they see each other's perspectives like i can and by accident, I read a, an article um, that introduced Geert Hofstede, which is one of the, the Western founders of cultural intelligence. And, um, and I just talked about how just this thing of cultural intelligence exists, that different cultures mm-hmm. operate in different ways. And that there's direct communication and indirect communication, high power distance and low power distance, and all these different cultural codes that cultures uh, operate by, but differently. And that's when i went oh my god this is it mm-hmm. can i curse on this by the way
1: i was <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> like oh shit, i don't know if i can say that. <laughs> so really i thought holy fuck, this is the answer like this is so important if i had known this earlier in my life my life would have been so much better and i know i mean looking at my boss and my my two bosses if they understood these concepts of cultural intelligence mm-hmm. they would be able to work together better Um, And and I realized as well, I was teaching English for a long time and people could be super advanced in the language, but they still have all of these clashes and it's no longer about your level of the the English language, it really is about the cultural codes. So Mm -hmm. I got into, oddly enough, leadership development through the cultural intelligence world, because I started off with, you know, using what I know, which is my two different cultures and Entering into that world of different perspectives, different mindsets, different ways of behaving, values, beliefs, etc. And then, as I dug deeper and deeper into that world, I started to realize, wow, a lot of cultural intelligence starts with self-awareness. And when I got down to that self-awareness and I started to to explore a lot more of personal development and self-awareness, that's when I started mm-hmm. to realize the leadership stuff. That's when I realized that a lot of broken leaders are just broken people. And mm-hmm. you can't fix that leadership thing until you you fix the person part and so that's mm-hmm. that's then what pushed me more into the leadership section um and both my loves cultural intelligence and leadership have that thing in common of that self-awareness and and mm. to have a healthy society and healthy leadership we have to fix the people
1: i i do want to highlight what you said um the the the, the intersection of cultural intelligence leadership being being self a lot of about self-awareness right Yep. Yeah. And you do a lot of work or you 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 mention a lot of times this idea of questioning our assumptions, right? Yes. So uh, for people who are not familiar with this concept of cultural intelligence, how would you define it? And what does that have to do with questioning our assumptions? Sure.
0: So cultural intelligence, I'd say that the kind of most general way of explaining it is how to work, live and play better with people from different cultures than yours. And it's mm-hmm. about... Um, not only having the knowledge of of an awareness of different cultures because you might be able to study all the different cultures you want but do you really know how to interact with other people right and that's where that cultural intelligence comes in knowing how to switch your behaviors to help accommodate others and also to to even have the awareness to look at the behaviors of others to try to understand uh what their their beliefs and values might be um so that's, that's a general idea of cultural intelligence and then mm-hmm. assumptions are a huge part of that an assumption um, so you should know this carla because you've taken several <laughs> courses with me at this point would you
1: like to tell why don't you that? give me an example
0: <laughs> Hard ass.
1: so an assumption <laughs> is
0: good one i'll let you out an assumption is something we believe to be true or something we believe to know to be true but we have no evidence of it right the important thing is that it's a belief But even though it's a belief, we are certain that it's true. We think and we are convinced that it is true. Mm -hmm. Um, And based on that, we have a behavior. So uh, one of the examples I give is when we cross the road, right? When we're at the crosswalk and the little little green man or woman or couple changes and you can cross the, the street. Does everyone in the world look left and right before they, they cross? No, they don't. Many people just mm-hmm. cross the street. And why? Well, they trust and they assume that that street light is correct, right? So that's a deep assumption, something that we believe to know to be true, um, but we don't know for certain. So I believe that that crosswalk is correct. It's, that the technology is functioning well. Um, and so I make a decision based on it to cross the street. I assume it's working well, but I don't actually know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? I'm not aware of the technology that's supporting that system, and I don't really know if it's working or not. I also assume that the cars are going to stop because it's green, but I don't know if they're going to stop because it's green. I also assume that the traffic light above my head is red, but I, I don't actually know that until I, I look. That one's a little bit easier to prove, but so those mm-hmm. are assumptions. and. We walk around with a lot of hidden assumptions, and this is one of the most dangerous parts of, of cultural intelligence and leadership, and just to life is We carry all of these beliefs and ideas that we think are fact and we operate based on that, not realizing or, or, or understanding that every single person around us has their own set of beliefs that they think are fact. And so when we walk into another culture, we're unconsciously thinking that they're gonna communicate like us because this is how you communicate, right? Mm -hmm. One of the easiest ones, and I have, this is something we're, hopefully we might talk about later, is this idea of saying no. In many Mm -hmm. cultures, it's just assumed if I ask you a yes or no question, and the answer is no, you will say no. But in many cultures around the world, it's actually not assumed that you will say no. It's assumed that you will not use the word no because the word no is very taboo. So it is assumed that you will say no in a very different way. It is assumed Mm -hmm. that you'll say no by saying maybe or I'll think about it or let's discuss it further. So there's very different assumptions um, that we all operate by, but we're not even aware that we're operating by those assumptions. So it's it's, Mm -hmm. it's like having a rule book that you've been following all your life um, that you didn't know was there and that, Turns out is very different from the rule book that everyone else in the world is following, but you don't realize mm-hmm. it, and neither do
1: they. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you think are, um, practically speaking, I, and I'm thinking of examples as I say this, uh, but what are for you some of the benefits that you have experienced of questioning our assumptions at the personal level, but also at the level at a, an organizational level?
0: That's a good one. Um, well, one, the questioning your assumptions, just even the idea of it, is that idea of finding your assumptions to be able to question them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way to do that is sometimes looking at really basic day-to-day things that you take for granted. And that could be a policy that you have. What policies do we have that we're just taking for granted? And why don't we look through them and look and actually pull out all of the assumptions that we have? Mm-hmm. Um, and that could even be an assumption of the person who's reading this policy is going to understand X, Y, and Z even before they read this policy. Right? Um, I completely forgot the original question. So can you ask that one, please? <laughs> of course.
1: Um.
0: Oh, the benefits. Yeah, the benefits
1: of- at in your personal life and and then your at the personal level and at the cl- level of the organization. So the benefits of questioning your okay. assumptions. And if you want to talk in examples, that would be awesome. So for
0: the the questioning my personal assumptions, I think whatever you do on the personal level will always have an impact Mm. with how you show up um, anywhere and within the organization as well. And then that will have a kind of domino effect. So benefits of questioning my assumptions, I'm much happier in life. It feels weird. Like it's really weird to think, hold on, by like questioning the things that I have thought have to be true all my fucking life, I'm going to be happier. Yeah. You become happier because all those things that I thought were true in some ways were be, were like my um, handcuffs. You know, I became a slave to these beliefs. I became a slave to to all of these things that were programmed inside of me that I didn't even choose. I didn't choose these belief systems myself. They come from the society I live in, the friends I had, the family, and so on. Um, So it's liberating because once you start questioning your assumptions, you start also realizing, is this really something I believe? Mm. Or is this something that was handed down to me? Did I choose this belief? Did I actively choose this belief? Nine out of 10 times, the answer is gonna be no. And then you have a chance to basically do a clearing out and throwing away of the different beliefs and assumptions that you carried with you that you didn't choose to have and by clearing it out number one holy shit the fucking freedom of not having that weight on you Mm -hmm. of all of these because all those assumptions are basically rules that you have to play by so you have less rules now and you also have space to create your own Mm -hmm. and so you start deciding how do you want to show up who do you want to be you know what what assumptions do I want to start operating from? And one of my biggest assumptions growing up was that the world is a dangerous place, that people are fucked up, that everyone is out to get me. And it's, it's understandable. I mean, I was born in the middle of the war. We left as refugees. I had experienced abuse over and over again. So it's normal. I would think this,
1: Mm -hmm. right. It's
0: understandable that I would think this, but when that assumption You know, when you start realizing how much damage it does, like why do I really wanna go through life thinking and assuming that the world is out to get me, that the world is a bad and negative place? No, I don't want that. I don't want that life. I look at my parents and I go, that's who they are. They believe that. I don't wanna live that life. I don't wanna be there. I don't wanna be miserable when I'm 70 years old and thinking that everyone and everything has played against me my entire life. I wanna think and believe and know that I made active decisions And I made those active decisions by choosing how I'm going to see the world. Mm. And that was one of the biggest, most powerful shifts that I had. That assumption that the world is a bad place and that people are out to get me. um, To trusting, learning to trust again. And I did that by changing my assumption that no, the world is a good place.
1: That is very powerful. Mm. Very powerful. I'm thinking um, some some smaller ones I would like to give as an example. Well, you know that ever since the, the COVID 19 happened, I'm questioning some of my assumptions more because so much of my reality changed, right? Mm, yes. So, even stupid things like why can't I wear summer clothes, yeah. uh, build <laughs> yes. my sweaters, right? Yes. <laughs> um, if I'm just going to stay yes. and work from home, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's one kind of a stupid assumption you can I could think about. Another one, and this one is a bigger one, uh, I was reflecting on this as I was writing my final report of my internship this, the, the last semester. And one of the assumptions I had was that either as a third or a second, third year student, I sh- I was in the time to get an internship. Ah, uh, yes. Because so many of people in my class were getting internships, so I was looking at them. They were all running between their academic and and corporate bubbles, and I was like, okay, maybe I should get an internship, right? I went from vegan writer to um to ghostwriter for an old <laughs> businessman. <laughs> and i find myself feeling really really stressed because i was not acting from a place of uh, connected to my purpose so well in the end i did not get an internship opportunity but not only did i not get an internship opportunity i also started the podcast that Well, that's why I'm here talking to you, right? So it's very interesting to see that when you observe your assumptions and you reflect on the things that you actually want to believe and choose for yourself, how your reality starts um, lifting completely. Yes.
0: Yes. And there's something, can I jump in there (laughs) quickly? That made me think of, um, I'm going to outline it before I forget it. First, I wanna talk about, like you said, stupid assumptions. None of these are stupid. I love them and I wanna talk about the whole dressing and stuff at home. Mm. Um, And then um, testing your assumptions. That's something else I want to talk about. The, The things that you believe to know to be true, it's really hard to let go of those assumptions. So you have to start playing with them a little bit until you get comfortable and prove to yourself that they are wrong. That's the magic of it. When you're able to prove that your assumption was wrong or simply that it just wasn't as strong as you freaking thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first one about dressing, I love that. I love that. And it's any, cause it's also something that's on autopilot. Anything mm-hmm. that's on autopilot needs to be questioned that it, it's part of a belief system or an assumption or habit that you formed. Um, and by the way, assumptions are also just habits of thought. Mm-hmm. So you want to start breaking those habits and that's when magic starts happening too. Um, I've been, I've been kind of questioning this idea, and this assumption around what is professional and what is not. Because hmm. a lot of the, not a lot, I'd say, maybe like 30, 40% of the time, the feedback that I get, and for me that's a lot, is you're not professional enough, right? And I mean, mind you, I've, you know, I've worked with all sorts of organizations. I've had you know directors at major consultant companies have me on their speed dial and, and, you know, as their coach and their consultant. So it's professional is one of those words that we like to throw around, but no one can actually define because a couple of times that I asked them, So I started to believe this, this thing, this story around um, professionalism. And then I started to ask, okay, can you explain to me exactly what I'm doing? That's not professional. I'd like some concrete feedback. They couldn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. They couldn't give me anything concrete that I've done. It's simply a mix of cursing being loud whatever so i started to have this assumption in my head that you really have to be a certain model mm. to be professional and i really had this belief and assumption around what professional looks like and the other day um for a while now i've been thinking so i was a kid i was i was super alternative I was a punk i had my hair dyed also lots of different colors since i was like 13 i wanted to go back to you're that.
1: really a rebel <laughs>
0: I mean, at that, at that age, at like 13 years old in the Middle Eastern family, yes, to do that, yes. Now as a 37-year-old, not so much, but in a little bit. Because I, what I also wanted to do was, my first reaction was, I want to dye my, the front of my hair purple. And my, one of my first reactions was, oh shit, how will my clients react? And then I realized, no, Shiva, this is the perfect way to test this assumption. You have this assumption that people are going to think that you are not professional if you show them your tattoo, or if you dye your hair, or if you curse, or if you do this or that and the other. So let's put little tests in place to see how it's going to work, right? I already cursed like a sailor. So that test has you know, helped me to, to weed out. <laughs> and you know what, I'd say about 80% of the clients are perfectly fine with it they do not see me as less professional they mm-hmm. see me as more authentic mm-hmm. which was a huge bonus it didn't completely disprove my assumption that cursing was going to make me seem unprofessional um, because there's still 20 percent who who do believe that but it really showed me that, that assumption is much smaller uh, it's a much smaller fact than i thought it was and then this next one is i'm going to dye my hair purple and that's it and we'll see how the clients respond we'll see mm-hmm. if they freak out or not and it's a way it's a low risk way for me to test that assumption um of of you know what is professional and what is not mm-hmm. so super important to find those assumptions but then also to start testing them because that way they don't have power over you anymore
1: mm-hmm. i'm thinking that everyone listening to this podcast will now paint their hair purple <laughs>
0: please do please dear god i would so much love
1: if we start to
0: have like tattoos and piercings and and colored hair in corporate i would be the happiest person alive
1: Mm -hmm. so let me make a bridge here Mm -hmm. it seems to me that when you begin questioning your assumptions you begin also shifting your mental model Yes. right and you choose the kind of mental model you want for your life right you want Absolutely. to navigate your reality um so in this f- scenario that we create in this framework what is the importance of saying no and setting boundaries mm. and why did this topic started being a thing for you okay
0: so i'd say in that specific context saying no and setting boundaries helps you do the work of um testing and shifting your assumptions. Mm. But then there is also a whole other aspect, which is um, that there's a a lot of assumptions around the word no and Mm -hmm. yes and no in different cultures. And and it's very difficult for a lot of people to say no. So which of those two would you like to explore?
1: Uh, Well, I like both, so you can talk about both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, first I'll say that when you're
0: testing out your assumptions, that means that you're going to start behaving in a way that is not so usual and typical for you. And so those around you are going to start noticing that. Um, some of them, in fact, most of them, to be perfectly honest, are probably going to support you in this because your assumptions, our assumptions are usually just not true. Mm. You know, what we, how we think people are going to react and respond um, to, to small changes that we make in our lives, it's less likely than we think. But there are going to be people who are going to resist the changes in behavior no matter how small they are.
1: So just for us to, um, an example here of you saying no, can you give us an example? So
0: if, for example, oh, my parents, <laughs> um, I, I'll, this is like, this is going to be super meta, by the way, because I'm going to be talking about, my example is learning to say no,
1: mm.
0: right? And then in that journey of learning to say no, why setting boundaries was really important. Okay. So the, the assumption I'm testing is that the assumption that saying no, um, saying no makes me difficult? The assumption that saying no it makes me not a team player, not a good family member or friend, that if I say no I break harmony, um, that if I say no uh, I'm being selfish. Okay, so these are all the assumptions I have around the idea of no, and I want to start testing these assumptions. But I and to test those assumptions I need to start behaving differently and seeing what the results are. Now, the majority of the results are going to be very positive, but every now and then you're going to have some people in your life who are just like, they're going whoa, you're acting differently. You're like, Mm -hmm. you always say yes. Why are you saying no now? So when I talk about doing, you know, boundaries um, and we can substitute this with, um, there's also an assumption that to be social, I have to drink. Mm. I'm all for drinking. That's a big one. (laughs) Love the alcohol. Yes. But there's definitely uh my partner's like that i'm like let's go out he's like i don't really want to drink like we don't have to drink (laughs) that's not the only way of being social you know we can also go to a bar and have a soda so if that's what you want to start testing that assumption that you know uh to be social you have to drink then you would start bringing you know like drinking kombucha or (laughs) drinking cider non-alcoholic or non-alcoholic beer you just start drinking anything without alcohol Mm -hmm. when you're going out some of your friends are not gonna like that. Some of your friends are gonna be pushing you to drink. Come on, come on, come on, drink more, drink more. And you have to learn to say no mm-hmm. because you are testing that assumption. This is exactly the moment when you need to say no because you need to see by saying no and only you know, not drink, not drinking alcohol, how are people around you gonna respond and are you gonna enjoy yourself as much? Mm-hmm. And you can't test it just once, you have to test it several times. We never get results by testing something once. We need several data points for it. Um, So that's the importance of saying no when you're testing things out because people are instinctively and unconsciously, the friends and family around you are going to be pulling you back to your previous behaviors because that's what they know and expect of you. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. They're not fucked up for wanting to do that. It's completely normal. It's simply your role to put those boundaries and stay firm and sometimes even have a conversation and say, hey, look, I'm not drinking because I'm testing this assumption. I would really like your support with it. Mm-hmm. So that's that importance of putting boundaries and saying no when you're testing your assumptions. Mm-hmm. And the other part is um, the actual word no, right? Um, I know I start to say like, "Oh, my mother," and I'll talk, see if I can connect that in a second. But um, <laughs> the idea of saying no is—it's fucking hard for a lot of people. It's what I said, you know. It's you break harmony. You you're not a team player. You're selfish. You're um, abandoning people, and God knows what else, or people think that you're not up for it, you can't handle the pressure, whatever excuses we wanna give ourselves. Um, or we're just afraid of being rejected and we're afraid of not being invited out again. So I definitely had an issue with saying no. Um, and this is a story I share since but so much so that the, and I, so I really hope the person involved never hears this when I say it. But I said yes to getting married because I didn't know how to say no. And it's, and I sounded so whiny when I said that. So yes, I'm going to say it more with confidence. I said yes to getting married because I didn't know how to say no. And that was a huge lesson for me. That's That was my wake up call. And I kind of, I hope that people listening, um, if you have an issue with saying no, I hope that this helps you re- not wait until you fall off that edge or get married to the wrong person or to learn that you are on that edge, to learn that you have to learn to say no. Um, for your own good. And this is a huge cultural issue, because Mm -hmm. in many, many cultures, the word no does not come out. Mm -hmm. You go to another culture, you ask for directions, they don't actually know how to speak English or explain to you how to get there. But instead of saying no, they will go out of their way to bring you to the location, or they'll just lie. Mm -hmm. Because it's better than saying no. And so that's a huge thing to start testing. Um, And yeah go ahead I feel like you've got more yeah.
1: questions around this so I can keep talking Going. yeah at the end I, I I feel like we just have to be connected to our why right why do we do things mm. but like you like you said before before that happens you need to be connected you need to know who you are so you need the self-awareness and I'm thinking about this uh, at the center of health, well being, and happiness. We obviously talk a lot about health, well being, and happiness. I just feel like saying no and setting boundaries is so related to this idea of health, well being, and happiness, right? Oh, yes. Because, and I think, um, and, and there's also this, we, we talk a lot about and this idea of servant leadership in the center, right? And like you were saying, I feel like so many of us are trying to be of service, especially women. We're always trying to be there for the other. But then if we don't set our boundaries, if we don't know our boundaries, right, how can we uh, give if our glass is not full, right? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes. We
0: lose ourselves. If we give too much, we lose ourselves. Hmm. And I think that's what a lot of caregivers get into, get into this trap. And caregiver doesn't have to be a parent. It could be, uh, you know, a child taking care of their parent. It could be uh, the best friend who's got a friend who's on suicide watch or who's just really depressed or whatever, you know? And sometimes we decide to be the caregiver, even though someone didn't ask us to be. Mm. Uh, But yeah, we, When we give too much and we don't set our boundaries, we completely lose ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we also lose ourselves because we often haven't done the work to really know ourselves. Mm -hmm. So no one, I don't know about you, but no one ever talked to me about boundaries. The only boundaries like people talked to me about was if you're being sexually harassed on the street, that's it. Yeah. There was nothing else. There was no line of, know What's appropriate, what's not, and what's appropriate and not for you. What are your lines? Where do they stand? Mm-hmm. And I think it's there's so much anger and frustration in the world just because of that, just because we don't know what fuck our boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And a real simple thing, a tool for that one is anger. I love anger. I used to be scared of it, really scared of it. But I freaking love anger now because it is, it's one of the best tools I have for me to realize that a boundary of mine has been crossed and it's a boundary that I didn't know was there. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm aware of my boundaries and I'm really aware of them, that I, I I'm kind of conscious and intentional about setting my boundaries. So so when something makes me angry, it's because, Holy shit, there was something there. I didn't think of there. There's a boundary I didn't know I had, you know, and and where is my boundary. And um, it is often about expectations as well. We had an expectation that wasn't fulfilled, but, there's always a boundary in place that we just didn't know was there.
1: Mm-hmm. And for that you need to be in tune with your emotions. You have to
0: allow, yeah.
1: I've been trying to explore this to explore this, uh, to explore this in, with myself, right? So trying to see if in certain situations or certain actions, uh, if my body reacts, right? And I yes. have this, um, this perfect example. And, and again, there's a lot of, of assumptions uh, related to, connected to, or associated to what I'm about to say. But I was talking to a person that I really love, a good friend of mine. Um, she's older, she's not in a good place. And as she was speaking, and she was speaking, and this was, this was like a solid at least 40 minutes of whining and complaining, Mm-hmm. and when this happens i just feel like tension gets accumulated in my forehead you know and in that moment i i at some point i zoned out because she just felt like a broken record you know mm-hmm. and what am i gonna do now am i i'm and I, am i gonna st- uh, set my boundaries am i gonna say no am i gonna interrupt this process would this be helpful to her would this be helpful to me you know and very calmly, I just couldn't take it anymore. Like literally, I could not feel it in my body anymore. I just said, I love you, but I can't listen to you anymore. <laughs> so I just stood up and say, It's like everything is okay. I love you, but I I can't. I just can't listen to you anymore. So listen to yourself speaking, and then we'll talk mm. another time. And I just left, you know, and I completely interrupted the process. Um of that person you know and i think that for the first time in a long time she had that because when you're so much in that moment you don't even realize what you're saying right but that's the importance of us knowing what are our boundaries no knowing when to say no but if it just feels like if everyone did a little bit more of this the world would would be in such a better place you know yes absolutely because
0: also it's well one i i'm sorry for your friend and that she's not in a good place. And I've definitely been around people um, the same in, in similar places. I've been there myself, absolutely. Um, but yes, when we are, because we all get there, when we're in that hamster wheel, that you know, constantly spinning wheel that just doesn't stop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that we get in there more and more when we are not able to, to put our boundaries, uh, around us and to say no so you know the next time you speak with your friend so you're going to be even angrier you know you're going to be cautious this is where it becomes a cycle where if you hadn't put your boundary the next time she calls maybe you wouldn't answer or if you would answer you would be disconnected and then it would build and build and build and then that hamster wheel would just go more and more and more Hmm. Um, and then you would feel stuck in a certain dynamic in that relationship simply because in the early parts of it, um, or just simply because you had never put down the boundaries kindly, kindly doing it, um, but doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas often, and then imagine, you know, you have 10 other people like this in your life. Um, yeah. And, and, and it would just get worse and worse. And then you would get burned out.
1: Mm-hmm. And 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 let me let me do a little bit of a reframe here. What is on your advice on um, what if that happens at a in a professional setting? Right. Uh, so if I am um, if I'm employed mm-hmm. and I feel the need to say no, set a boundary. Um, would you recommend that one should do so? or perhaps- Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's all about the testing.
0: So even with what you did with your friend, I my first instinct was to ask you, well, what was her response? You know, how did she respond? How did she react? And then encourage you to actively call her again and have another conversation and see what happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and absolutely, I encourage people to put their boundaries at work 100% because no one's going to freaking do it for you. And when you don't put boundaries, you end up becoming- a slave to the organization, right? Everyone's gonna ask you something because you won't know know how to say no. And you plant the seed in their head that you're always going to say yes. And it's not their fault that they're always gonna be asking you for more. It really isn't because you've never said no. You've never put that boundary down. Um, But once you start putting it down, it gets very scary because you think, you feel like the stakes are are higher. You feel like there's more at risk because your job is involved. But if you start with very small tests, like I'm going to say no to something that is really, really not going to impact many people, um, and then I'm going to work my way up. And everyone's going to have a different thing for them in that sense. So for me, for example, I started off by saying no to meeting times. Right? I was always the one who would, you know, I could always adapt my schedule to other people's agendas, and so I would say yes to any meeting at any time and just change whatever I had. So mm. an easy thing for me to practice saying no to was. Are you available at this time for a meeting? Even if I was available, I spent like a whole month saying, no, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not available at this time, but I am available at this time. Just to practice saying it and to also see other people's responses. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The response was always, oh sure, that's fine. That works for me. Or no, I can't, but I can at this time. And then we find a, you know, we find a, a time we can both meet. Mm-hmm. So it was testing it for me to get comfortable with it, but then also to start seeing people's reactions and realizing, oh, it's not that bad. The next layer of like risk for me was um saying no to something that someone asks me to do right but like i couldn't start by saying no outright so instead i started by questioning testing just questioning oh, okay um you know who how many people really need to be on this um what value do you think i'm going to add by being on this project um or even just hinting, like, I'm not sure I can take it on right now. Would it be possible for someone else to take it on mm-hmm. So things like that? Still not d- outright saying no, because I wasn't comfortable with that, but testing it, and seeing people's responses. And again, I mean, nine out of 10 times, the answers were really, really great. And in fact made me even realize, I remember once I questioned a project and it turns out the project was just a lot easier. It wasn't even a project. It was a task.
1: Mm-hmm. It,
0: be- it was a lot easier than I had thought it was mm-hmm. when I first read it. And by, if I had just said yes and done it, uh, I would have spent 20 hours doing it. But it, by questioning it, I spent one hour because mm-hmm. they actually clarified a lot of my, my issues. Mm-hmm. So it definitely say try it out at work. And people will respect you more. Mm-hmm. When people know that you have boundaries, um, they're a lot less likely to ask you to do kind of shit work and a lot less likely to ask you to do mindless work. And they're a lot less likely to put their shit on you, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, don't don't shit on people for doing that because we all do it. We all try to put our shit on other people. But the ones who've got boundaries, um, you know, are are the ones who don't always get the shit. But at the same time, be careful of going to the opposite end and always saying no and always having boundaries Mm -hmm. because then, you know, no one's going to want to play with you then. So it's just it's finding a balance that works for you. And that means also finding out what what is important for you, mm-hmm. you know, is meeting agendas important for you or is it working on projects? That's, what the hell is important to you and start putting boundaries around that? Mm-hmm.
1: So it seems like this idea of, of finding finding the balance um, between saying no, setting boundaries and also being of service. It seems like we are stepping on uh, some a new kind of leadership. <laughs>
0: yes. New kind of leadership.
1: So you do work on leadership as well. We've covered that. Um, what does this new leadership looks like to you?
0: Um, I'll connect it with a little bit with saying no. A, a leader is someone whose whose ego isn't so fragile that if someone says no to them, they break down. So this mm. new leader is okay with hearing the word no, not just from their bosses, but from their reports. So they're okay with pushback, they're okay with resistance, and they embrace it because they know that their word and their idea is not the best and the only way. And so they know that there's going to be people, people who see things in a different way, and they invite that in. Um, And a bigger part of that is, uh, I've got a saying a leader for me is someone who who develops people and not rules. Hmm. And this ties back to what I said before about when I was a kid and just always questioning hierarchy. Why should I respect you just because you've got the position? What did you do? Okay, and, and what did you do, not in terms of actual accomplishments and accolades, but what did you do in terms of the people around you? Do they respect you? Do they admire you or do they fear you? And hmm. this is a huge, I mean, it sounds ridiculous because it sounds so Stone age, but yeah, most leadership models are based around fear. They're based around command and control. They're based around like, I'll give you a p- reward if you do well, and then I'll smack your butt if you do poorly. And it's not about mm. actually developing the person so that they want to do better and they want to do well continuously for themselves, mm. for the team, for the organization, for the leader. It's, it became and is too much about like, you know, what's the bonus I'm going to get? what are
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the awards i'm going to get what are the prizes i'm going to get it's not about i'm going to do this because i want my leader to be proud of me for me that's a leader a leader who works in a way that they want their team to be proud of them and they want Mm -hmm. to equally be proud of their team so it's no longer command and control it is servant leadership it is developing the person it's it's not developing the role
1: Mm hmm But for that, the leaders have to do the inner work themselves. Oh, God, yes.
0: And this is where we are fucking up. This is is where I come in and I try to help them. And I'd say like, you know, it's like 30% you get. You get 30% of the people that you deliver these trainings to to shift over. And then 30% are kind of in the middle and 30% are like, go to hell. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is why I also really look forward to this next generation of leaders because I think... A lot of you are simply more self-aware, period. And so Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of self-awareness that's needed for for your generation, for every generation, but I think less for your generation than for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. The gap is smaller. So I think a lot of your generation, even though, and this is the scary and unfortunate part that you all have to be careful about, which is the leaders that you are similar familiar with are command and control leaders. They are the authoritarian type. They are the hierarchical type. So that's the model of leadership that we've all had, mm-hmm. right? And if we don't start boldly acting differently, that will simply be the pattern that continues because we tend to copy what we know, what we've learned, what we've seen. So it takes real courage to lead in a way that is different from what you've always experienced. Mm-hmm. And this is where most people are afraid, which is why I'm hoping the next generation will be better because, you know, you get scared the older you get. hmm at least I think so.
1: But I'm happy that there are already firms out there, organizations out there that seem to be embodying this, this new way of leading. This uh, more aligned with servant leadership. So my hope is that not only small progressive companies um, continue doing the, the awesome work they're doing, but also that uh, mm-hmm. leadership trainers <laughs> like you facilitators like you start changing the, or they are already changing big corporations so I'm excited about the future there is a lot to do and our last question at the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast is what is your secret button or not secret it can also <laughs> be be obvious what is your button uh, your go-to button when you need to reset yourself mm.
0: yeah, that's a good one um, I will start off with complete transparency and say, unfortunately, this is not something I do consciously. This is not something I take the time to do. But I did see this is a pattern with me. Like, I only do it when I've fallen off. Like, when I've gotten so burnt out, or when I've gotten, I realized I'm really angry or frustrated, then I go, oh, something's wrong. I wish I've gotten into the pattern of like consistently pausing and reflecting so I wouldn't need a reset. Um, but my reset has been. And this is a very recent thing—just taking two weeks off, which sounds like so basic, and honestly, but I need at least two weeks because I'm a workaholic. I'm obsessed. When I get in, I'm like 100%. I dive in there, and I don't know how to separate. You know, this morning I sat and I was on phone calls for four hours straight. I did not go to pee. I did not go to walk. I did not go to eat. So, and that's not good. Um, But that two weeks is needed because it's it's like an addiction it's a drug and i think our lifestyle right now is an addiction and a drug and you need like you're literally going off the drug cold turkey which means that you're going from one day to another but that's how i that's what i need to do my reset so i don't check instagram i don't check um, linkedin Mm. i don't check my email um Mm. and i sometimes will just lay on my couch and i will read you know, sci-fi and fantasy books for hours. And yes, I am a dork like that. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. No. You're expecting like business books like Brene Brown. Oh, I love her, but no, no, was- no,
1: you're taking a break. You're taking a break. You need to go to other exactly, worlds. Exactly. <laughs> but one thing
0: I also do is, um, you know, I don't, I don't meditate. We've talked about this before. I tried. It's not, it's, it's, it doesn't do it for me. Um, but I will lay on the sofa and I will just stare at the ceiling. And I let my thoughts wander. It's it's like, almost feels like the opposite of meditation. I don't allow myself to go into any sort of dialogues with people in my head or recreate any scenarios mm. or anything like that. No, it's like a happy daydreaming. So I, I lay in bed mm-hmm. and I just stare at the ceiling and daydream for 45 minutes. And doing that over the course of two weeks, it's amazing how much space that creates in your head. And I'm realizing you know, I can't take two weeks off all the time. So I'm I'm thinking of just incorporating this into my weekly practice of just staring at the Mm. ceiling, 45 minutes, daydreaming, right? And that daydreaming, it's amazing how much of it, because I used to daydream a lot as a kid. And as an adult, when I daydream, it brings me back to that moment of being a kid. And I go back to all those things I loved and Mm. it connects me back to who I am and who I was um you know from from the beginning that kind of thing helps me a lot um that's
1: that's lovely to hear and too often we we follow we fall into this tried and true uh solutions of meditation yoga but i really think when it comes to health well-being and happiness we just have to find our yes and and so I'm happy that you you brought this new one, just staring at the ceiling. I, which again, again,
0: like if someone told me this years ago, i tell them to go fuck themselves. I mean, what the hell is this shit? But <laughs> that you know, taking walks doesn't work for me because I'm so like visual. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I need to hear something while I'm walking. So no, none of that, none of that works for me. Um, this I'm gonna actually ask you. What is your way of resetting?
1: Oh. Or what's the... I wasn't prepared. That's okay. For this. <laughs> or to
0: make it easier, you can also think of what was the most interesting reset tool that you heard.
1: Well, I just started the podcast. <laughs> this podcast, <laughs> but I have good, a reset good point, tool. Good point. Good point. I had a very particular moment the other day while I was in on holidays, and um, I was finding myself in a loop of anxiety. I was a lot of old memories were coming and and i was zoning out and then my breath took me back mm. so i'm going to say the cliche <laughs> of the breath <laughs> because i was really like wow what <laughs> what all of these yogis talk about the power of the yes. breath this is what it is is that it becomes a habit so automatically the yes. breath takes you back to yes. reality so for me now it that relationship developed uh, with my yoga practice is really my my bringing my coming back to reality.
0: I think the the breathing is especially helpful for those moments of anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. That is a great reason because it's always exactly. there. It's always there. Yes, it's always there. It's free. It's accessible. You can do it in public. It's nothing weird. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, sometimes it gets a bit weird because now I'm into weird exercises. Yeah. So sometimes I'm in the street and I'm like,
0: "Yes!"
1: And people are just looking
0: at me. Do you, like the alternate nostril <laughs> breathing through your mask, or do the lion roar? Yes. <sighs> it, it does help. And then I know you want to wrap up a bit, but <laughs> can I just? I'm going to throw in one other one other. Possible. Go ahead. um Go ahead. A quick, quick reset when it's just kind of the mind is going and going. It's just saying the the word stop. Literally mm. saying the word stop out loud actually helps. I heard that one from the Yale course on happiness, and then um, Deepak Chopra also mentioned another one where it's like imagine you're on Tinder and you're just swiping and saying next, <laughs> next yep. thought, next thought until you get to a calmer, um, you know, mental state.
1: Hmm. Yeah stop yeah it gives you that reframe
0: yes it does look a little weird when you're walking down the street and you just tell yourself stop
1: stop stop
0: but <laughs> i have done it it does work
1: well thank you for sharing your two beautiful tools <laughs> well two of your many beautiful tools to reset yourself. <laughs>
0: thank you
1: uh it was a pleasure as usual to have a chat with you same and thank you so much for coming you're welcome
0: it was an absolute pleasure
1: Thank you. Resetting Homo Sapiens is created by our wonderful
0: and talented team of students who relentlessly contribute to the IE Centre for Health, Wellbeing and Happiness. To learn more about our work or to join our movement, go to our Instagram, IE Happiness Centre, or look for our website, IE Centre for Health, Wellbeing and Happiness. I'm Amelie de Thanks for stopping by.